So we are going to be moving on to a new series today. It's called Eyewitness News. And it is about Jesus' life or who Jesus is through the eyes of Peter. Someone who was there, who saw, touched, tasted, did, felt, the, and experienced Jesus as he walked on earth. We're leading up to our Easter time, and this is going to be our Easter series. So we're going to culminate with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is such a great time to bring people to church. You know, it's just really the highlight of the Christian calendar and just a powerful experience to to talk about who Jesus is and what his resurrection is and and what that means for us so Lord as we begin I just pray that you would come and speak to us Lord let it be more than just good words Lord God let it be a demonstration of your spirit and power Lord God I pray that you would set us free to know you more that you would become front and central for us Lord God that your your grace, your goodness, your power, your nature would become more and more real to us. Lord God, we are so grateful for all the many things you've done in our lives. And above that, we are asking, Lord, that we would know you more. We would walk closer to you. And Father God, we would be set free to a greater measure. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. So today we are going to be looking specifically at a portion of scripture in Luke 5 from 1 to 11 and I've entitled this sermon more than enough how many of you want to live a life of more than enough I I don't want those days of just scraping together five baked beans on my plate and you're thinking this is this is good we want we want seasons like we're having now and to continue of more than enough of abundance of um, enough to give away of the ability to help people around us to have homes and environments where we can invite people in because we've got more than enough that we are the solution to the problems around us amen So let's start reading. It starts, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This might come as a surprise to you, but this is actually the third time that Jesus called Peter. So there was that time when Andrew, Peter's brother, brought Peter to Jesus, and Jesus changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter. 
You can read that in John 1 if you want to. There was another time when Jesus just walked past their boats and said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You remember that story? You can read it in Matthew 4 if you want to. And this is the third time that Jesus interacts with Peter and calls him to follow him and implies that he will be uh, an evangelist, a fisher of men, a man who builds God's kingdom. I find this so significant because we often read those accounts and think it was just this once-off interaction of Jesus with his disciples and they just abandoned everything and followed him. But we learn that no, Jesus was within their community. He was interacting with them. He was calling them and he kept on doing it until they responded. And what that speaks to me is that Jesus in my life is going to continue speaking through, the, through preaching, through the reading of the word, through your interactions with your friends, through just speaking to you in dreams or into, into your heart. He's going to just keep on doing it until you get it. And that puts a confidence in my heart that my success is not so much about my ability to hear God, but my success is in God's ability to reach me. And that God will just keep doing it until he's got our hearts. Of course, that doesn't mean that we can just, you know, sit back and say, oh, well, it's all God's job. There's a response that we have to make to God reaching out to us. But then nonetheless, we can have confidence that there is a God who's reaching us. There is a God who will not stop until he has our hearts. There's a God who will not stop until he's transformed our worlds. There's a God who will not stop until he's made a difference. There's a God who will not stop until he has the allegiance of our souls. You know, if you can picture that moment with Jesus and all the crowds are pressing around him and you know perhaps they had heard the stories of people just touching his clothes and they got healed or perhaps Jesus the stories of Jesus shadow just passing over them in the marketplaces and them getting healed and you know from everywhere they had come out to see this great healer and teacher and preacher and they're pressing in maybe just to get as close as they can to him and Jesus realizing that with everyone pressing into him he's not going to be effective because perhaps the the back guys won't hear or you know he'll be he'll be overwhelmed by all these people around him so he looks around and he sees two boats on the shore of the lake and I am convinced of this that God makes no mistakes that there are no chance things in his kingdom Jesus looks at those boats and I'm sure him and his father are having a conversation. He's saying, whose boats are these? Which one should I get in? And God's saying, I have an appointment with Peter. Will you get into that boat? And Jesus makes a choice. And he gets into Peter's boat. And from that moment on, Peter's life is never the same again. This got me thinking about God making choices. We don't often think about God making choices, but God has made many choices through the ages. Believe it or not, he chose to make the universe. He chose to limit himself to reach us. He chose to divest himself, put off the, the glory of his Godhead to become a man so that he could interact with you and me and with mankind. He chose to die in our place. 
He chose to submit to the Father so that his resurrection was possible. Do you know that if Jesus had sinned one time, he could not have been resurrected because then he would have been dying for his own sin, not for yours and mine. And there would have been every right that the enemy would have to hold him there in death. And last of all, he chose to step into your world. Now, you know what this speaks to me? Firstly, it speaks of the fact that all of creation, all of existence has been working towards that one moment when Jesus would step into your life and there will be, would be an encounter between you and him and his glory and the revelation of who he is would come to you. That before time, Jesus was making choices with you in mind. Before he even began to create the worlds and speak out, let there be light, he had you in mind and he was moving all of creation to that moment when him and you would meet. And that means for me that you are significant. I have thought in my own life in the past, when I have battled with being a good person, have you ever battled with that? Or am I the only one? I'm so sorry, but maybe, maybe you've just always been perfect. But every now and then I have battled to do the right thing. You know, I, I, sometimes in my marriage, I have battled to be the dutiful wife. Do you understand that? You know, I've, I've chafed against some of the restrictions. You know, sometimes I have, I have been irritated with certain working conditions and I've, I've not wanted, wanted to do the right thing. Am I the only one? But at those times when I've gone before the Lord, because, you know, we all want to be good people. You know, it's like, you know, I want to be better, but, you know, mostly I want to be better, but actually sometimes I just want to be grumpy. But, but I, I'm with the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, you know, I, I, want to, I want to do better. Help me. And one of the things, he said many things to me, but one of the things he said in those moments is the reason you're battling to do the right thing now is that you actually don't believe that you're significant. You actually don't believe that you're important. You don't think that your words count. You don't think that your life is making a difference. And as a result, you feel like it doesn't really matter what I do. And in that time, what he's done is he's spoken into my heart and he said, you are the one I died for. Your life matters. Your words count. Who you are makes a difference in your world. The way you respond to people matters not only now, but into eternity. How you respond to this this situation makes a difference. And deep down, I hear him saying that to each one of you. And it's so important that you get this. Because unless you understand how significant your life is, you will live your life just not really worrying about what you do or why you do it. But I want to propose to you the things you say to your classmates. They matter. I want to propose to you the way you do your assignments or your work projects, it matters. 
I want to propose to you the way you parent your children. It matters. I want to propose to you the way you interact with your friends. It matters. The way you speak, even the tone you use. Guys, it really matters. It matters because you are important. It matters because God has a plan for your life and your life influences. And I feel him just speaking to each of your hearts to, to look deeply into his eyes and hear his voice say to you, you matter. You're important. How you respond to your environment changes things. Believe it or not, God has invested in you the capacity to influence your environment and thereby change the world. Really, he's invested in you the capacity to choose that he carries. He's invested in you the ability to think and do in a way that changes things around you. So Jesus steps into Peter's boat. And that choice that Jesus makes to choose that boat at that time changes all of history. You are here sitting in a church today because Jesus stepped into that boat. And I want to propose to you that there are things in the future of the history of mankind that will be different because Jesus stepped into your boat. When Jesus stepped into Peter's boat, he changed in an instant Jesus, um, Peter's vocation or his job into a voice. You just think your job is what you do to bring home the, the bacon. You weren't Jewish because the Jews never brought home bacon. But Peter was a fisherman. And at that time, all those crowds watching this fisherman who basically was perhaps not such a good fisherman because he had worked all night and not brought home any fish. And they've seen Peter do his best without Jesus and it didn't look very good. Remember, this community is dependent on those fish for food. If Peter doesn't do his job, they don't eat. And then they see Jesus get into Peter's boat and Jesus comes back. I mean, Peter comes back with more fish than he can manage in one boat. And what immediately happens is suddenly the ordinary everyday tasks of Peter's job become a voice, a declaration of God's goodness to those people. Suddenly it's not just a job, suddenly it's a demonstration of God's power. And I want to ask you this, is what could God do in your workplace? What could he do if you let him step into that boat? If you followed his direction? He could turn your job, your work, your family into a mouthpiece of his glory, into a demonstration of his goodness. He turned Peter, Peter's assets into assertions, into assertions of God's goodness, into declarations of his power. He turned Peter's property into a pulpit. 
What could God do with your home? What could he do with your res room? <laughs> Guys, what could he do? Could that become a place where people meet Jesus? Could that be a pulpit for his goodness? A declaration of his praise? He turned his job into a generator of, of resources. What does God want to do with your job? The prosperity that he's bringing to you, because I promise you he's bringing it. It is, is his nature. What, what are those resources meant to do? He turned Peter's works into wonders. I have parented three children, and that has been a glorious, glorious, glorious process. But there were a few times when maybe I tried very hard to do the right thing with my children all out of my own strength. I made my own plans. I did my own things, and sometimes it didn't work. You know, I mean, they were, they were fantastic, but you know, the you know, the... <sighs> Any parents here? I can see some of you looking blank. You've never had children. That's all I can say. And then I remember those times when I, instead of just going after it and just trying to be better, I stopped. And I said, Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? What's the next step? And those are the times when peace reigned in my home, where my children prospered, where life and happiness and joy was there. David had this phrase that he would come and say to me, if I was behaving badly as a mom, he'd say, mom, you just need to go and spend some time with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and he was darn right. But, but there's a way of living with Jesus that turns your everyday work into a wonder. Can take your family from a place of chaos to a place of peace. Can take your marriage from a place of torment to a place of joy. That can take your work, your everyday work from a place of toil to a place of pleasure. Yeah. And Peter's obedience Jesus took that and turned it in an open door for Peter's new job, for an expansion of what Peter was going to do. When Jesus steps into your boat, he takes the ordinary, mundane things of your life. He infuses them with his presence, his life, his wisdom, and they become something new, something spectacular, something that advertises his goodness, something that declares his truth. And the significance that you have just by virtue of being you skyrockets. Because suddenly, not only are you just significant because you exist, you're significant now because God is using you to build his kingdom. Here's an interesting thing I learned 
there is a prize that is given out every so often. It's a very, very famous prize, and it comes with a large financial gift. It's called the Nobel Prize. Do you know that? It's given for various things. It's given for peace. We've had many um, Nobel Peace Prize winners from South Africa, believe it or not. But it's also given out, and most famously, actually, it is given out for chemistry, physics, medicine, and economics. It's given to people who have um, done extraordinary things, done things that have changed the well-being of mankind, that have done things that have, that have set mankind on a new course towards prosperity, blessing, or the alleviation of, of poverty or bad things in the world, that have furthered the cause of humanity in a remarkable way. An interesting thing I found out, that 65.4%, I don't know who that poor 0.4 person was, but 65.4% of Nobel laureates, people who've won the Nobel Prize, claim to be Christian. Guys, that's a huge percentage. Christianity is not that proportion of society. What it means is that, that we are batting way over our normal strength. We are hitting way over our weight. Is that the right analogy? We, we're doing more than our size suggests. It means that when God steps into people's lives, when Jesus steps into your boat, when Christians work together with the Holy Spirit, remarkable things are possible. And perhaps you're not going to be a Nobel laureate, or perhaps you are. But I promise you that Jesus stepping into your boat will change your world and thereby change the world. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You're a chosen people. He stepped into your boat. He called you. He knows you and he is using you that the world may declare the praises of him. Who called you? So Jesus made a choice, but Peter also made a choice. The reason I chose this particular translation, it's the ESV, is that it uses a word that makes me feel, it makes me feel dry and sad when I read it, but it certainly expresses what it wants to say really well. It says that Peter toiled all night. Can we all just say toiled? Doesn't it just sound like working hard without a break? And Peter, what he'd done is he just, he had, he had worked hard all night. He was a fisherman. We know at this stage he was old enough to be married, so he was, uh, he, he was, he'd been doing this for a while. So he was an experienced fisherman. Here this man comes and steps in his boat and says, go out into the deep places of the water and throw your net out again. I can imagine what's going through Peter's mind. He's saying, you're a carpenter. What do you know about fish? I have done my very best all night. I've gone to all the good fishing spots. I threw my net out where I know there are always fish and there was nothing. So if you want to fix my boat, carpenter, Good job. 
but telling me where to throw my net to get fish. That's another story. So, of course, the Bible doesn't really tell us what was going through Peter's mind. But if it was that, he pushed all that down and he stood between the choice of obeying Jesus or not obeying Jesus. I wonder what would have happened if he had just said no. There would have been no fish. That community would have had less food. Peter would have not seen that miracle. He would have had less faith than Jesus. I wonder if he would have followed Jesus. I wonder where our world would be today without the witness and the preaching of Peter the Apostle. On that one moment, Peter stood at the cusp of his destiny. And I'm so pleased to report that he did the right thing. He chose to throw in his net again. And as we have read, the result was spectacular. I guess the temptation that Peter faced was that he had done it before and it hadn't yielded fruit. And I, I am guessing that in his heart there was a sense of hopelessness. You know, I, I've done this all before, but uh, okay, let's try one more time. But I want to say to you that there are no impossible or hopeless situations. Only situations without Jesus. And all his not catching of fish were not that there were no fish or there was no hope for him or that he was never going to do his job well, it was that Jesus wasn't in the boat. Occasionally I have done marriage without Jesus and it wasn't great. Jesus in our marriage has made it so fantastic. And perhaps you are facing some difficult or hopeless situations or situations that look like there can be no outcome. I want to tell you that that is never the case. All you have to do is say, Jesus, get in my boat. My guess is he's probably already in your boat. And then just listen for the words he's saying. As you're reading your Bible, hear his directions and his commands and follow those. The result will always be more than you've ever expected. Peter had to get another boat to come and get the fish. Why? Because he never ever, he had a a boat that was the size of his expectation. He only ever expected to catch so much fish. But when he obeyed Jesus, that which he has expected became the minimum of what he was going to get. And suddenly he's having to call other boats, get other nets, get other people. Why? Because Jesus always exceeds our expectation. (laughs) A 
famous preacher by the name of A.W. Tozer, preacher and writer, he said this, it is time for us to seek again the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Man's lordship has cost us too much. <laughs> Can you all just say ouch for a moment? Have we not tried long enough to run this world on our own? Is it not time to just say, Holy Spirit, show us. Lord Jesus, lead us. Another point I really want to make, which I'd been thinking about when I was thinking of Peter and his fish. But I wonder if there was a fish swimming around in the sea and this fish suddenly thought to himself, you know what? This restriction of always having to be in water. Like I've just, I've had enough. I've had enough. I demand freedom. And then with great gusto, he waggled his tail really hard, shot up to the surface of the water and flew onto the beach. And as he lay there gasping on the beach, with that fishy mouth going open and closed, he's saying, dying, at least I'm free. (laughs) And sometimes we can think of God's commands and God's instructions and God's leading as restrictions, but they're not really. It's that God knows exactly how he's made you. He knows exactly who you are. He's placing you dreams, visions, skills, ability, and he knows the environment that will most draw that out from you, that will most facilitate you living the most successful life possible. And his instructions and his commands to you are like him saying, stay in the water. It's where you were born to be. It's where your gifts most flourish. And so when, when God gives us an instruction, it is actually an invitation to the greatest freedom you will ever have. It's the place where your gifts come alive, where who you are is most realized. Are you all hanging onto your neighbor's hand because you're gonna need it for this one? If your neighbor looks at you stra- strangely as you grab their hand, just, I don't know, look, grab the other neighbor's hand. But C.S. Lewis, who was another famous writer and theologian, said this, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part that chooses, into something a little different than what it was before. Taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, you are slowly turning the central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. What's he saying? He's saying that every choice you make opens up another choice for you. And if you make a choice towards God, with God, in line with what God's saying, then another godly, even more godly, and an even better choice opens up to you. And so you step more and more into the purposes and the promises of God. But if you choose at that point to Make a choice away from God, against God, in, con- in, in a different way to the way God is saying. At that moment, you open up more ungodly choices. 
And so, so your steps get further and further away from God. And inside of you, you create an environment that is less and less sensitive to his spirit. And I guess what that speaks to me, let's look on the positive side, is that the more I choose God, the more I can choose God. The more I practice choosing God, the easier it gets to choose God. The more I go after the good and life-giving things, the more good and life-giving things there are. I have the best husband in the world. I just want to say, all of you ladies looking for husbands, you're going to get second best. He's going to be fantastic, but I'm sorry. The best one is just taken. The Bible makes that same point in a slightly different way. In James 1, 3 to 4, it says this, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what's it saying is that all of us have had those toiling nights. You know, those nights when we set out to do something and it just didn't work. And, and this scripture in the book of James is saying, you know, when, when, you, when you face adversity, difficulty, persecution, whatever it is, at that stage, you're going to have to make a choice for God or away from God to follow God or to ignore God. And in that moment, as you choose him, it develops in you a perseverance, a strength, an ability that allows you to face the next challenge with greater and greater ability and strength. And what this does is that ultimately produces in you a finished work of maturity, completion, not lacking anything. Who doesn't want that? It produces in you more than enough. It produces in you... uh, catch a fish that is impossible for you just you to contain you begging your neighbors to come and eat fish you begging your neighbors to just come and partake of the goodness and the blessing that God has on your life good day it's a good day I know that Peter had dreams I can tell it in a number of ways because he was involved in a little altercation amongst the disciples at one stage when he, he asked to be one of Jesus' favored and the greatest. So clearly he had aspirations for greatness. As a fisherman, I, I, am, I am convinced that he had aspirations to bring home fish every day. And you know, we, we all have spiritual aspirations, you know, or, or I don't even know what the right word is, aspirations of the heart. You know, I want to be great. I want to do something significant. In fact, when his brother Andrew called him, he, he called Peter to come and meet Jesus. And he said, he said to him, come and meet the Messiah. So clearly, Peter, with all of Jewish people, had this aspiration to, to know the Messiah, to see a world transformed, to see um, everything as it should be, to see their community uh, uh, fulfilled, happy, right. But at the same time, he had very ordinary, everyday aspirations. And I wanted to let you know that 
it's a really great aspiration to bring home a paycheck at the end of the month. You know, it's fine. We all have aspirations like that, to have food on the table, to have clothes on your, your body and on, on your f family. We, we have very natural aspirations, but we also have aspirations of the heart. And what I love about what Jesus did is that when he interacted with Peter, he did something unique. He didn't discount Peter's aspirations. He didn't say, Peter, ah, those, that fishing stuff, you know, just that's, just that's just worldly stuff. He took Peter's aspirations and he said, Peter, you're asking too small, my friend. All you want is one catch of fish. Come with me. Let me show you what can happen when I'm in your boat. And he took Peter's natural aspirations and he skyrocketed them, rocketed them to an expectation far beyond anything Peter had ever had. And I want to propose to you that your aspirations are too small, that Jesus has even more for you. Just let him in your boat. Let's see what he'll do. At the same time, Jesus took Peter's aspirations for world changer, for greatness, to see the Messiah come. He took that aspiration and he said to him, follow me and together we're going to change the world. That's my paraphrase. Together we're going to fish for men. Together, we're going to speak my word. Together, we are going to do something that is going to leave the world gasping. Within 100 years, Peter's known world was converted to Christianity. I don't know if you know that. Within 300 years, the then um, world that had um, communications and roads was converted to Christianity. When Peter said yes to Jesus, all his aspirations, Jesus took them and said, let me infuse them with my presence. You, like an eagle, put out your wings. You give me your life. You give me your heart. I'll blow my presence under your wings, and you will soar to places you have never imagined. Because what does Jesus do? Jesus takes his giant dream for the world to see everything under his dominion, everything in its right place, joy and life and happiness in the home, societies working, um, environments producing wealth and prosperity for all of creation, his glory and his praise rising from the earth into all of the universe declaring his goodness. He takes this giant dream of his and he takes your aspirations and he plugs them in and he says, together, I'm going to raise your expectations to a level of eternity and greatness you had never imagined. There's a convergence of Jesus' dreams, Peter's dreams, your dreams, Jesus' dreams. We were born with a dream that only God can realize. Inside of us, there is this faint whisper of what could be, and it leaves us dissatisfied with anything less. It keeps us striving for what we can't achieve alone. Then God steps into our boats and takes our aspiration, aspirations and fits them into his grand dream, and we find a supernatural flow of power to bring us into a place of satisfying fulfillment that the Bible calls fruitfulness. God fulfills his dreams 
through us. And in conclusion, Jesus chooses us so that we can choose him by following his lead, thereby his dream for the world and our dreams for ourselves converge and produce a life of more than enough for everyone. Yes. Amen and amen.